0: So, when you hear the theme of Rocky, what do you think? Adrian. (laughs) Cut me. When I I think of Rocky, and by the way, I've I've seen, I don't know, I don't know how many times I've seen the movie. I think of of a warrior, right? And this guy is going to battle. He's he's fighting the number one fighter in the world, Apollo Creed. And he's just this journeyman fighter out of Philadelphia. And he begins to buffet and to battle his body to try to get it in whatever shape he can to fight the number one boxer in the world. Now, if you haven't seen the movie, I won't give it away, but I'm sure everybody in here has seen the movie. But the one thing I remember more than anything else about that movie, it was a bloody fight, wasn't it? It was a bloody fight. To the very end. Today's message is called, it's a bloody fight. Our Christian walk, our, uh, our path to the cross of Christ wasn't meant to be this easy path. It was meant to be a bloody fight. Today, I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 16, so go ahead and go there, and we'll be there in a second. Jesus had two missions during his time on earth. Mission number one we find in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was mission number one. And by the way, on this Friday, some 2,000 plus years ago, he died on the cross, he shed his blood for that mission number one, and then three days later he rose again, which we're going to celebrate next week. This was mission number two that Jesus had. It was to invest in his disciples who would then go on and impact the world for Jesus. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's similar. In fact, it's the exact same statement that we have here as a mission that we want to invest in each other so that we can go out and impact our world for Christ. In Acts 1.8, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That was their mission. And Jesus, for those three years, was preparing those disciples for that mission. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus. As he prepares his disciple, he has one simple truth to his disciples. And this is that truth. Faith in me, a real authentic faith, will cost you your life. If you're going to walk with me, if you're going to be my disciple, one simple truth, disciples, you have to understand it will cost you your life. You know, Jesus had some pep talks. And by the way, this is my favorite time of year. I know you football junkies are out there and you think that come January, that's the best time of year. But this is my favorite time of year as a basketball guy. And I love when coaches get in the locker room and they give that pep talk, right? Right before the team goes out. Let me share just a little bit of Jesus' pep talk, if you will, to his disciples. In them being prepared to go into this world and be that light that he wanted them to be. This is what Jesus says in Matthew 10. Starting in verse 32, he says, Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. And anyone who loves their father or mother more than, they, more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Who, whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. He also says in John 15, says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Now, let's huddle up and let's go. Can you imagine that kind of pep talk? Can you imagine Jesus sitting down with his disciples and saying, Okay, this is what you've signed up for. You haven't signed up to have this leisurely life. You haven't signed up so that you can be comfortable. And you can have all these things. You signed up for this. In other words, what Jesus was telling them, it would require that they love him above all other things and all other people. It would require that they face persecution and hatred. And it would require that they give up Their own life. And let's remember that after Jesus had ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, it says in verse 15 that in those days, Peter stood up up among the believers, of which there was 120. So after it was all said and done, after the big uh, on the mountain, let's feed the 5,000, and by the way, there was probably 10,000 or 5,000 men, These people who are following Jesus and grows, at the end of it, there's a reason why there was only 120 believers left that Peter addressed. So what happened to all those so-called followers of Christ? I'll tell you what happened. Is the journey to the cross of Christ, it's a bloody fight. It's a bloody fight. Paul writes this in 2 Timothy, uh, Timothy 4, 7. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Literally what he says in the original language is, I have contended with the adversary in battle. The adversary is Satan. I have contended with Satan in battle, and I have finished what I was set out to do, and I have kept the faith. Matthew 16 will be our text this morning. Let me read it to you, and then I've got three simple things that the text tells us about this bloody fight that we're engaging in. So here's Jesus, and in verse 21 of chapter 16, he says this, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This is a pivotal point in the ministry and life of Jesus. At this point forward in the Scriptures and the Gospels, everything Jesus does is pointing right to that cross that he's going to go. And this is what he says to his disciples. They gather around him, and he tells them this. And Peter, like Peter is, this impulsive kind of guy, and, and Peter stands up and pulls Jesus aside and says, No, you can't die. That's not part of the plan. And Jesus tells Peter, says, Get behind me, Satan. That wasn't that he was telling Peter he was Satan, but he was, he was saying to Peter, That's what Satan would say because God's plans are different than man's plans. You're talking about man's plans, and man's plan would say, Hey, let's just, let's just stay together. God's plan was that he go to the cross and that he suffer and that he die. So after he has this conversation with Peter, he gathers the rest of the disciples together. And in one voice, he says this to them in verse 24. He says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple, looking at them all, say, hey, listen, if we're going to go on this journey, if you're going to be with me to the very end, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Verse 25, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life from me will find it. You and I have a journey to the cross of Christ. We do. And when I looked at this passage of Scripture, I saw three things as clear as I could see it. And these were the three three things. For me, my journey to the cross is going to require a decision on my part. Whoever wants to be my disciple. In the King James translation, it says it this way. If anyone wishes to come after me, that word come... Literally means, in the original land, if anyone wishes to be publicly known and associated with Jesus as a disciple, that's what it means. Understand that if you want to be my disciple and you decide to do that, that you're going to be forever going forward, or it should be that you're connected to Jesus. So when persecution comes, what will you do? When suffering comes, what will you do? Because from now on, you're known as somebody who is following Jesus. It requires a decision on our part. We count the cost. What must I surrender to be a disciple of Jesus? In Mark 10, Jesus is explaining some things to the disciples. And then Peter spoke up like Peter does. And he said this, we have left everything to follow you, Jesus. We've left it all. And Jesus responded, he says, Truly I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. It's going to cost you something, and I want you to know it should cost us something. Because to follow Jesus, to come after him, to want to be his disciple, it requires a decision. Here's an amazing truth. In times of true persecution, where people are being slaughtered for a faith in Christ, usually revival breaks out. Y'all hear me? In times of true persecution, where those who are followers of Jesus are slaughtered for their faith, Revival breaks out. It requires a decision on your part and my part of whether or not we want or we wish to come after Jesus. So it requires a decision. Here's the second thing. It demands death. Jesus went on to say, you must deny yourselves and take up your cross. Deny. Deny myself. To slay or put to death this old rick. That's what that means to deny, to slay or put to, get, to, to put to death. I think about also this phrase to take up their cross, to take up your cross. I've heard it many times say, I'm, I, I have to bear my cross. And usually it's in the idea of there's a burden I have to carry. I have to bear my cross. Or maybe it's an infirmity that you have, a disease, or something that you're dealing with constantly in your life, and you and we have a tendency to say, Well, I have to bear my cross. That's not, that's not what Jesus was talking about here to his disciples. What he was talking about is this picture of what the cross is. The Bible, in biblical days, the cross was an instrument of death and complete, listen, complete sacrifice. Once you got nailed to that cross, you weren't coming off the cross. You weren't coming down. There was this picture of a complete sacrifice in one's life. In other words, to complete this thought, Jesus is demanding that if you choose to take up your cross, you are choosing to give him your whole life, not just a piece of it. Jesus and his purpose for your life, it becomes your destination. That's what it means to take up your cross. He didn't say pick it up. This picture of taking it up means you're going to take it up and you're not going to put that cross back down. I'm not going to put Jesus back down. I am going with him. His purpose for my life becomes my destination. It demands death. Death to the old nature. And this is the life before Christ. Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? A new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. To be a Christ follower, you first have to be redeemed by the blood of Christ. Because his death actually brings you life. So this old nature, this nature of a life before Jesus, it has to die if I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. You know, sometimes we make the assumption, because we live in the deep south, and we'll ask people, hey, listen, do you, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And we usually get this pat answer, oh, yes, yes, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's Easter coming up, and yeah, I know that Jesus went to the cross, and I know that he died on the cross, and I know he died for my sin. Listen, that doesn't make you a Christian just because you know that and believe that, because we know the scripture says the demons know that, Right? The demons know that, and it says, they don't believe in Jesus. They know that, and they shudder. They're fearful. So not just because you live in the deep south. I want you to know we make this assumption that just because you come to church on a Sunday morning, that you've made a true decision to follow Jesus Christ in your life. Here's the question I would ask for you. Has there been a death to the old nature in your life? Has it died in your life? Because that's what Jesus says is a requirement. It demands death, that this old nature, this life before Jesus, that it dies. Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul got it. Paul knew that the old person, the old Paul, the old Saul had to die so that Christ could live in him. So you die to this old nature, a life before Jesus. And listen, there has to be a death to the old desires. And that's a life before repentance in your life. 2 Corinthians 5, 15, Paul writes, And he died for all so that those who live shall no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. My old desires that I had before Jesus, they should die as well. The sins of my life that I struggle with, they should die along with this old nature in my life. You know, I want you to know that I've been around enough and I've been around enough situations in my life that lost people should act like what? Lost people, right? So when you move into a new neighborhood and they have a Christmas party and you show up, you shouldn't be offended when your neighbors bring alcohol to the party, right? Or there's some language taking place at the party. In fact, what you should do is there is a fertile ground. There is a harvest to be made here. They don't know Jesus. We shouldn't be offended when lost people act like lost people. On the same token, Saved people should act like, who? Saved people. People who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. When I was a student pastor, I'll never forget this. I won't name the church because you may know the church. But I was a student pastor, and I'll never forget one Sunday, I was cornered by three deacons. All three of them had teenagers in my student ministry. So my first thought was, they're coming to put their arm around me and say, hey, Rick, you're doing such a fantastic job. We just love you. We're, here, here's, a, here, here's, a, here's a gift card. Here's a gift card. You can take your wife out to dinner. Now, what I got was these three deacons who had three teenagers in my ministry, corner me, they say, you know what? We've got to do something about all these kids who are leaving beer bottles and cigarette butts in the parking lot on Wednesday nights. We don't want those kind around. I said, Really? I said, if you don't want those kind around, then you don't want me around. Because Jesus called me to go find those kids. And I told him in that lobby at that church, these three deacons who were in front of me, I told him, I said, listen, the church is for not saints, it's for the sinner, right? It's for the lost people. And I said, we do ministry to reach those lost kids because that's exactly what Jesus would do. And I expect them to act like lost teenagers. Until they find Jesus. They didn't fire me. And we won a bunch of teenagers to the Lord. Hebrews 12 says to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race that's been marked out for us. What race? The race to the cross. It requires a decision, it demands a death. Thirdly, it expects fearlessness on our part in verse 25 Jesus told his disciples whoever wants to save their life will lose it but whoever loses their life for me will find it are we willing to fight for this gospel that we have inside of us are we willing to lay it all down so that Jesus is lifted up you know we got church speak around here right so, <laughs> So when I say, hey, are we willing to lay it down? Oh, yeah, we're willing to lay it down, Rick. That's true until it gets pretty tough. I was told about a story about a week ago about a member of our church who was involved in a business where they were taking advantage of people around him. Customers. And that person came to Kenneth and he says, Kenneth, what should I do? I, I don't believe it. I'm a believer now. My life has been changed, All right. I've died to the old nature, I've died to the old desires, and this isn't right. What should I do? Get his advisor, go tell your, your, your boss that you just can't do that no more. You can't charge these customers more than what it should, you just can't do that. And he'll either fire you, or say, okay, we won't do that no more. Well, you have to be willing to leave your job. Well, he left his job. Left his job. It required this fearlessness in his life to leave his job. You know what God provided in his life? Another job that paid him more money. <laughs> God is good. He took care of him because he was fearless in what he did. Are we willing to fight for this gospel that lives in us? I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11 with me. One of my favorite passages in all the Bible. If you ever looked at my Bible, you would see it's just all marked up here. And Hebrews 11 is the author is it's kind of the Hall of Fame, and I've shared this before. It's a Hall of Fame of our faith. There's people in it like Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob. All the, the, the ones that we remember, all right, all the ones we talked about in Sunday school when we were little kids growing up. Then go down to verse 32. And the author writes, and what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon or Barak or Samson or Japheth or David or Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, "'administered justice and gained what was promised, "'who shut the mouths of lions, "'quenched the fury of the flames, "'and escaped the edge of the sword, "'whose weakness was turned to strength, "'who became powerful in battle "'and routed foreign, foreign armies. "'Women received back their dead, "'raised to life again. "'Others were tortured and refused to be released "'so that they may gain a better resurrection. "'Some faced jeers and flogging, while still others were chained and put in prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And one of the greatest verses in the Bible, and this world was not worthy of them. Fearless. It was a bloody fight to the very end. And this world in which they fought wasn't worthy of them. They were going to spend eternity in heaven. You know, there's another example of fearlessness. And it's this week, some 2,000 plus years ago, when Jesus entered the gates of Jerusalem and he knew that. Within the week, he would have to die and suffer for all of us. And I wonder what through the mind of Jesus as he prepared himself for this cross of suffering. I know what I would have done. Maybe the human side would say, you know what, it's, it's not really my fault That Adam and Eve sinned against my father. It wasn't my fault that the Israelites disobeyed God for hundreds of years. It wasn't my fault that Peter denied me three times. It wasn't my fault that Judas betrayed me. It wasn't my fault that Pilate condemned me to the cross. It wasn't my fault that they shredded my back and laid it bare and bloodied with the cat of nine tails. It wasn't my fault that they passed and pressed a crown of thorns upon my head until it bled. It wasn't my fault that they pierced my hands and feet with nails to this old rugged cross. It wasn't my fault that they spit upon me and mocked me and that I had to suffer on that cross. It wasn't my fault that they pierced my side with a fear. Man's sins your sins, my sins. It wasn't my fault. But the God part of Jesus reminded him that it was his responsibility. It was his responsibility in the end to take care of all those things. Because no one else could do that It was his responsibility, and only his responsibility, to fight that bloody fight to the cross for all of mankind. That's fearlessness. And he's asking us to do the same thing. I want you to know that sometimes you all look at us pastors and you kind of go, well, you know, they got it all together. Every day they're spending all their time in the Bible and praying on their knees and Man, listen, we're we're just like you. We have insecurities. We have frailties. We have sin that we deal with. And the interesting thing is God has called all of us. Jesus has called all of us to that same cross. Every single one of us. It requires a decision on your part it demands a death and it expects a fearlessness from us i think the question for us as we think about this week and jesus and what he did it's not whether or not i'm worthy because we're not am i willing am i willing to die to self am i willing to take up that cross the final destination Christ's purpose for me, am I willing to say yes to that? Am I willing to quit a job that Christ would not approve of? Am I willing to lay aside those things and to be fearless in my faith for the cause of the gospel of Christ? That's our question. There may be somebody in here, and I believe there always is, Come to church all their life. You know what? They struggled every Sunday they come. Do I really have the living God living inside of me, or have I just played the game? Then most of us in here, we've got that in our lives. But you know what? If I put myself to the test. I raise both hands. How far short do I come to denying myself, taking up my cross, and following Jesus? Because on Sunday we celebrate our Christian faith, His resurrection from the dead. How about you today? Where do you stand with Jesus? In a second, we're going to have an invitation. And at that invitation, I want you to examine your heart. I want the Holy Spirit to examine that heart. And you know what? If you're sitting there today and you go, I don't know for sure if I was going to die right now where I'd spend eternity. I want you to know there's no greater time in your life. Salvation should be today in your life, y'all. We would celebrate that as a body of Christ. But I want you to know if you're part of the world. If one foot's in the world and one foot's over here with with Jesus, golly, that's miserable. You will have a miserable life. I would challenge you today. Get your foot out of the world. Say, okay, Jesus, here I am. Got you in my life. I surrender.